Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Digital Voices with Ed Marks. Welcome. So one of the fun things of doing this podcast is oftentimes I get to get reacquainted with great leaders that I met at the Chime Bootcamp. And so a quick plug for Chime Bootcamp, if you've never been, you should go. Whether you're a CIO or CIO, something you want to be in the future, you should go. I went 2004, and we'll talk Karen a little bit, maybe about her experience. Definitely go, because that's where Karen and I first met, actually was 2017 at a Chime Bootcamp. Karen, welcome to Digital Voices. Hi, thanks, Ed, for having me. Great to see you again. Yeah, it's great seeing you. Yeah, so we were in boot camp together, and that was a great thing too of of helping to lead boot camp. Is I got to get all the fundamentals twice a year re ingrained in me. So sometimes people say, "Hey, what what's the secret to your success?" I'm like, "Chime boot camp, like like twenty or thirty times," <laughs> because, and and just going the one time right as a as a brand new CIO was so helpful to me. So that's that's where we first met. But before we jump right in, DJ. Megan, what is one of the things you enjoy most producing? Because we're going to talk about producing. Like, what do you what do you like to produce? Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. I saw that on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had fun. I was, it was actually one of our podcast episodes where we talked about LinkedIn taglines, and um, it's like, well, I need to I need to work on mine. Um, but no, I love producing podcasts. I really like the editing, and I like listening to everybody's stories and. Yeah, from start to finish, those are my favorite things. Well, you do a great job and just want to thank you for, for doing that for Digital Voices. So, Karen, you may know that we always ask everyone what's on their playlist. So this is our attempt to try to get to know our, our guests a little bit. So, you know, what songs do you like to listen to? Oh, goodness. I like them all. You know, so I have... Uh... You know, Andrea Bocelli, so a little opera and a little Italian to jamming out to, you know, Whitney or Alicia, uh, 90s Smash Mouth, a little bit of country to balance me out, Carrie Underwood, Adele. So, you know, I like I like it all. There's really not music that I don't like. I think there's always a time and a place when it matches your mood or what you're going through. And so being able to connect is is always neat. Yeah, I love music as well, and it's and I learn so much. You know, asking that question myself because I'll often hear artists maybe I haven't listened to as much, or or it's been a long time. Like Smash Mouth, I definitely have their greatest hits on my playlist somewhere, and so I'll probably have to dial that one back up. Uh, there, there, that was some good music uh, back in the day for sure. What about your personal message or mantra? Do you have like sort of a something that a slogan or some quote that keeps you grounded? Uh, well, you know, Ed, um, you know, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, right? And so family to me is one of the most important things that I focus on. And in fact, that's part of the reason why I was so excited to come join Nemours and focus on pediatrics. Uh, but, you know, I feel like it's a privilege that we get to work in healthcare. We have the ability to change lives each and every day, impact disparities. Uh, and so I think to me, uh, just being focused on the saying we, we always have is the patience at the middle, right? And, and so for me, it's family and being able to serve others. And that's how you get the patient at the middle. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And yeah, tell us about being a mom. Do you, how many kids do you have? 
Oh, goodness. So I have five kiddos. Uh, and so, you know, we range the, the spectrum from teenagers that are driving to the four-year-old that's off into pre-K. Uh, and so it's exciting. It's busy. Uh, I wouldn't be, you know, lying if I didn't say there was a little exhaustion, you know, some days that are hard going from, you know, the hospital to soccer practice and trying to figure out food. And we probably pay homage to Chick-fil-A more often than I would like to admit as a working mom. But, you know, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I I didn't expect number five. We have five kids as well, so I can commiserate with uh what it takes, uh, <laughs> at least part of the equation. And yeah, I, I forgot. Oh, I got so excited about talking about music and everything else. I forgot to even mention, like one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, not only are we formerly, you know, connected through bootcamp and you're a great leader, but your title as chief value officer at Namur's uh, Children's Health, that's pretty unique uh, title out there. So I wanted to dig into that a little bit as we get going. So maybe we'll tee it up by having you just share sort of your personal professional journey. You can talk as much as you want, personal or professional or a mix of both, uh, leading all the way up to uh, chief value officer. And then and then we'll jump into sort of what that is and what that means. Sure. Uh, you know, so I started my career actually as a first responder. Uh, during 9-11, I was in school uh, in DC and, you know, took an EMT class. It, it was that time I was a political science major. And I said, what am I doing? You know, I loved policy, but what am I doing? Why am I not helping in a, in a different way? And I just remember the lines for the blood bank, uh, you know, the American Red Cross and, and what we didn't know early on in those days, what was going to be needed or not needed. And so next semester, I signed up to, you know, get my EMT basic uh, and so I there started my healthcare career very, very early on and you know, worked clinically uh, at a hospital and in, in a variety of care settings, which I really enjoyed. Um, did some time working in clinical research, which really helped open my eyes to big business and partnerships. Uh, and then halfway through my career, I was you know invited to join IT. There was a, a need for a early CPOE projects which was, you know, I'm sure many, many will remember and lament well beyond, well before uh, meaningful use. And so was starting to join an IT team. We started on early CPOE implementations. And, you know, I, I had a wonderful career in, in health IT. Uh, and then about eight, nine years ago, I was asked to go help work in population health. So there was a lot of challenges with the data and the analytics that we were doing. And it was an interesting opportunity. Uh, And so it's interesting, while I don't serve as a CIO, I uh, have definite foundation in IT, data management, analytics. And I think that background and the work that I did clinically really helped position me to do the population health work that I do today. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating background. And I love the whenever, you know, I have that clinical mindset coming into IT. And and I think that really uh, helps Quite a bit, and I do remember the days when we would talk just about CPOE outside of the, uh, in addition to the EHR, and uh, yeah, we've come a long ways for sure. Hey, tell us a little bit about Nemours. I, w- I definitely want to get into your your position in a second, but not everyone will realize that you're one of the nation's leading pediatric hospitals. Can you share more? Sure, sure. So Nemours Children's Health is actually one of the. Uh, largest pediatric health systems. Uh, We have two hospitals, uh, one in Delaware, the other in Orlando, Florida. 
And we collaborate with over 19 different community hospitals providing pediatric care, whether that's neonatology, NICU, PICU, uh, ER services. Uh, We have a pretty large footprint around primary care and specialty care, urgent care practices that actually spans four states. So we operate in Florida, we operate in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. And so I serve uh, all four of those regions. That's cool. And that whole concept of the chief value officer, when I saw it, when I heard it, it made a lot of sense. Uh, And then I thought, wow, I'm not sure there's too many of them. Can you explain a little bit about the CVO? Like, is it a new position nationally or are you all pioneering? You know, that sort of thing. I would love to hear more about it and what your roles and responsibilities are. Sure. Sure. You know, it it was, it was new to me. You know, I was kind of thinking I had imagined what a chief value officer would be. But at that time, when I uh, decided to join Nemours, you know, my, my understanding is that there's only a couple uh, across the country, even today. Uh, and I really see the chief value officer role as, you know, leading the edge. Um, I was thrilled that Nemours recognized that there was a need uh, at the C-suite to have an executive that was focused on value. Uh, And value means a lot to our organization. It's not just financial incentives and payer partnerships and ACOs, you know, know, accountable care organizations, but it's how do we work with health equity? Uh, How do we address social determinants of health? How do we take the data, the incredible data assets that Nemours has? Nemours was a very early EHR adopter. uh, And how do we maximize those data analytics in a way that it changes the way we operate as a system? Uh, I think we we absolutely recognize that healthcare has to change. Uh, healthcare is changing, and if we are not ahead of it, it's going to be done to us instead of us kind of leading. And and I I liken it to you know you hear often yeah. uh, actually at Chime just last week uh, you there was conversations about what the CIOs witnessed in the 1990s, right? That there were not CIOs in hospitals that they had maybe a director level or they had some manager level, but they didn't have an executive at the table who was leading the way, leading the conversation and informing and educating board members, um, partnering with chief nursing and chief medical officers. And so I think chief value officers, chief population health officers, that's what we are now. Um, The distinction between the value is that there's a recognition that it's not just about the health, but it has to be sustainable from a financial standpoint. Uh, and that we need to be able to, tr- you know, change the trajectory around cost and utilization while we're addressing, you know, outcomes, quality, and equity. And so at Nemours, we've adopted this whole child health model. Uh, we're looking at the way we operate and, and how we uh, provide care in our acute and ambulatory settings. Uh, and we understand that it's not just the work that we do, but it's across the continuum. And so it's exciting to, to be serving them and serving the organization, serving the communities as a value officer. Um, you know, I, I always say like, it's, it's a big role, um, but it's a bigger opportunity for the organization and the community. And that to me is what's really excited. Uh, and the, the last thing I'll share is that Nemours what really was interesting to me and, and the, what really sparked my heart, not only as a mom, but as, you know, as someone who's worked in healthcare is this notion of going well beyond medicine. And so it was this calling to service, mm. right? It's, it's one thing to work in a hospital and to treat 
it's another to go beyond the medical care and think about wellness and well-being. And to me, that was really exciting. And I think gives me a creative space to, to do new and innovative things. Yeah, I love that because, you know, you're right. A lot of great organizations in their mission statement will be about, you know, serving the community and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, they're largely just taking care of you when you're in trouble, you know, when you have a need. And what you're talking about is that whole person care and really taking care of everything about them, whether or not they're, they're patients, right, inpatients, you're, you're out there caring about them for their wellness, being proactive, making sure that they don't ever have to become a patient. But if they do, uh, if, they're, if they're a pediatrics, definitely want them to come to your hospital. Yeah, no, that's, so, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, and that's the way healthcare should be. And I'm, I, I, like, I like this whole concept. You know, um, I recall in, in one of my divisions in the past, we had someone just from an IT perspective with a title of value realization. And the, the point was, hey, we're making all these investments and this, again, is just a tech example, but yours is much broader, which is what I love. And, and we made sure that all of our tech investments had the ROI come to fruition. So everyone would always have an ROI, but, but no one would ever demonstrate they actually did what they said they would do. And so when we incorporated that position, we actually saw the value come, come about for many different reasons. And so I can sort of relate, like at a health system level, like a role like yours would, Hey, we've got, a, we, we do a lot of great things for our community. We have a lot of great capabilities. We want to make sure that value is uh, harvested uh, throughout, yeah. you know, the areas that yeah. we serve. And, and so, hospitals uh, had value and analysis yeah. committees. You may, you may recall those, right? I mean, 20, 20 yeah. years ago, yeah. 30 years ago, you know, those were being formed and it was, you know, what syringe should we buy? What, you know, uh, equipment. And there was this, you know, great debate. If you've ever sat in those committees around like what was safe, what yeah. was cost effective, yeah. what was not going to interrupt workflow. Could we go with something a little less expensive, but it still be safe and effective. And it's the same conversation, but at a, you know, at a macro scale. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I, I think it is a, a trend that you are leading. I, I can see this uh, coming to fruition, you know, on a greater level, because I think there's a sense of frustration, right? We've poured all this money into digital and tech and not just that other programs as well. And, and then maybe we sat back as a board or a C-suite and thought, Hmm, we're, we're still not seeing the outcomes we expected. Uh, but having someone who's focused on that brings all the different parties together, uh, keeps that at the forefront. I could see how that would, uh, definitely, be valuable. So Karen, I know because of bootcamp that you, you suddenly didn't become this, uh, CVO, uh, and have all the requisite skills, but you had a lot of great experience that came from, from an organization that you were with prior to Nemours, And that was a university of Maryland medical center. Can, and you had several different roles and you sort of, uh, implied some of those earlier. Um, uh, how did that experience, uh, help you and prepare you for your current role? Sure. No, it is true. I, I served at uh, the University of Maryland Medical System for 13 years, and it was a big organization. And when I joined, it wasn't quite as big. Uh, you know, it grew in that time period. And I think as anyone who's worked in organizations that have you know grown with either new hospitals or new practices, there's a lot of lessons to be learned about growth and business and, and clinical transformation. And so that was really uh, fascinating work to get that exposure to. And when we joined, we were maybe four or five hospitals at that time. And when I left, there were, you know, well over 13. And so there was, you know, rapid transformation that was happening in the organization. And, you know, in many ways, being 
in the IT space and then in population health, I, I kind of had you know front seat to a lot of it. You know, we worked on meaningful use projects and ICD-10. You know, the, we started to lead. The Maryland model was going through some significant changes. You know, I'm not sure if uh, all of you are aware, but in Maryland, they operate under a different payment methodology from CMS. And so being exposed to that from day one and having to launch, you know, Medicare ACOs and analytic platforms that were not the traditional analytic platforms, you know, we had to think about things differently, really, uh, it taught me to be stronger. Uh, it also taught me to think about things with a more critical lens. And I appreciate the academic component. You know, we worked collaboratively with the School of Medicine, nursing, pharmacy, social work. And I think, um, you know, Ed, I'll remember when you were in boot camp teaching the class, one of the sayings you said was iron sharpens iron, right? And yeah. uh, I remember that to this day. And it's so true, right? When you are in a wonderful environment with the right team and the right goals, you can do some wonderful things. And, yeah. you know, I'm really grateful for the time that I spent at University of Maryland. I learned a lot. Uh, you always hope that you left the place better than as you, you know, as you arrived. And uh, it was a great time. No, it's great. Yeah. You know, because I always, I'm always interested in that question because, you know, we, we didn't come to be the leaders we are by magic. And I always like to give respect back, right, to the places that we came from that helped us develop. And, and, and you, you know, I, I knew that about you and, uh, and about your background. So we already talked a little bit about the CVO. I want to go back there a little bit. But you, you mentioned that, you know, you work with the entire leadership team and nursing, physician, finance, really everyone in this role because to get all the value. Uh, but I know that you're also, you know, really uh, helping to lead the first pediatric uh, clinically integrated network. Can you share a little bit about clinical integrated networks? And, and please assume that people don't know what that means. So, because sure. uh, this is unique. We haven't talked about this yet on Digital Voices. Oh, great. Happy to be a first. Uh, so, you know, I would imagine that many hospital organizations have these today. So a clinically integrated network is really a vehicle. Uh, sometimes it's formed as an LLC. Now, there is a an official definition from the government around how you can actually serve around a clinically integrated network with a whole bunch of legal and compliance requirements that I won't go through today. But, you know, the, really the semblance is that an organization creates a, an integrated network, uh, and it's a it's a company, if you will, where people come together. Now, clinically integrated networks can be provider owned, so you know there are instances across the country where there are physicians that are not owned by health systems or employed, and they come together to form, you know, a network. How can we change the trajectory of health, cost, quality, outcomes, uh, share data? Um, in the stance that where I serve, Nemours uh, started a clinically integrated network several years ago. The first uh, in the state that uh, was pediatric focused and has an incredibly uh, large presence with our community partners and our employed, as well as our spe specialty physicians. Uh, and to date, we have a pretty large presence. We have upside and downside agreements for Medicaid and commercial. You know, there's there's not too many organizations across the country that are doing upside and downside in pediatrics. That's more common in the adult space. So there's a, there's a couple out there, but we're really excited about the work that we're doing around value, around population health. And we use this clinically integrated network to partner with people. 
it's a vehicle that it really allows for partnership. Yeah, I, the reason I wanted to highlight it is I, I think it is one of the solutions to a lot of the challenges that trouble us, you know, in healthcare today in the United States and um, clinically integrated networks. There, there's been a lot of attempts and for a variety of reasons, not all of them were successful, but that's why I wanted to highlight the work that you were doing uh, in pediatrics and, and, and it seems like things are going um, pretty well. Um, you know, let's talk about leadership. So we talked about your role uh, as chief value officer. It's very fascinating, and it's great to meet a pioneer, Karen. Because you know, I think I think we'll look back and see that you all were uh, one of the very first, and I think there'll be more for reasons that we already talked about. Um, what what advice would you have to other leaders who switch organizations? So, like we already established, you you were at uh, University of Maryland for quite some time. And then you go to a new organization. That's a hard change, especially in a new role. So it's not like it's something that you've done before and, oh, this is easy. I've got my old playbook. I'm bringing it with me. But this is like brand new. So what recommend, what recommendations, ideas do you have for others who are contemplating such a move? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think learning the... Uh learning the fabric of that new organization is is important, right? And I think we would say that to anyone, whether it's a leadership role or not, but especially in leadership, you know, I went through and, you know, take the time to meet your team. So I spent the first three months just meeting people across the organization. There was just an incredible amount. It felt almost like speed dating, Ed. You know, and you, you know, just you feel like you're rapid fire connecting in with people, but it was so helpful. And, and in some ways, you know, overwhelming and, and and exciting at the same time because it allowed me to get the pulse of what were people passionate about? What were some of the areas that maybe were tried and didn't go so well? What were areas that people thought I should focus on? And it was really helpful for me to understand where there was challenges, opportunities, where there were capabilities for me to partner with people, where there were options for me to engage and support the work. And I think that time was so important for me that then it's allowed me now, I'm, I'm coming up almost on a year, to start to lay out a plan uh, because I had a good sense of the people and the policies right, uh, that were going to be important to me being successful and to our teams to be successful. Uh, and I think you're a better connector that way when you get to know the team and the culture. Yeah. And you didn't use the word implicitly, but all over the things you were just saying is really humility, right? So you didn't come in there and like, this is the way we're going to do it. And I don't really want to, I don't care what anyone else thinks, but you took a lot of time to listen and get to know people and the organization, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think every leader has ideas, right? So, you know, of course I had ideas from the beginning, like, Hey, it'd be really neat if we did this. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? But also recognize there was a lot I had to learn. You know, I, I came from a large adult system. I hadn't worked in a just pediatric system. There was a lot for me to learn. And there were a lot of things that I had to have people, you know, translate for me. Like in the adult world, we call it this. They're like, oh, no, no, in peds, right. we do this. Uh -huh. And so it was really helpful. I, I, there's still a lot that I learn yeah, every day. That's great. What do you attribute your career success to? So a lot of times people will look at you, Karen, and, you know, a chief value officer and, you know, an executive. And they're like, wow, I wonder how she achieved that. And uh, so sometimes by getting some insights on what you attribute your success to can help others, you know, kind of learn and emulate you. you. Uh, well, you know, I mentioned my family is really important. My faith is is equally important. Um, 
I really think career success for everyone is is timing and some patience and, and some prayer. Um, you know, and I, I joked, I laugh now and, and my family laughs at me. You know, I was the six-year-old that was dressed up as a lawyer. You know, I wasn't the witch or the pumpkin. I was like, I'm going to carry a briefcase. So I, I knew that I wanted to do business and I was, I've always been very goal-oriented and ambitious and, you know, ambition can go both ways, I, I think, as, as leaders know, and, and it's knowing when to have the right timing. Just because it's something you want doesn't mean it's what the organization is ready for. And uh, just because the organization wants it doesn't mean that you're the right match for that organization. And right. so I think that career success is finding where you can, you know, what's the saying? Um, plant where you can bloom. And it's about the timing and the patience and knowing that you need a support team, you need a mentor. If you don't have a mentor, you need to get a mentor. Uh, maybe get one or two, you know, you need to find someone that you can connect with. I've had a, a mentor, um, get a coach. You know, if, if leaders are really serious about that, if you haven't had a 360, if you haven't gone through professional development support, every person needs to know, you know, in and around where their strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, so I don't know if that, that helps, but I, I yeah. think that it's timing. Timing is a big part of it. Well, and the other thing that you were pointing out that I don't, I don't think we, we think enough about is that you're a continuous learner. You, you keep having a mentor. You could say, well, I'm already in the C-suite. I've got a C-title. I don't need any more. But, but what got you to your current role was this constant mentoring and other, other things that you were talking about. And you don't want to stop now. Absolutely. You want to keep, keep learning. So you, I know you've been in a women in leadership program. I'm curious, sort of a curveball question for you here. Uh, what can men do to um, help uh, other women leaders and aspiring women leaders in their organizations to be successful? Um, so I always like to learn, you know, myself to make sure that I'm being a great leader in my organization. So I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what, what can men do uh, to help women have equal uh, success? Uh, just, you know, make room at the table. I, I think that's always that what we hear. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about women, you're talking about uh, racial or ethnic. Like The reality is, in order to achieve goals around diversity and inclusion in leadership, uh, there's an opportunity and there's an obligation of those who are in leadership to make space at the table, you know, to recognize uh, implicit bias that we may have to, you know, elevate those that are not in the room. Right. I think that that to me is one of the greatest things that I love being able to say, go into a meeting and say, the team did this. It wasn't Karen. It was the team. And I think that that's, that's an obligation that we have. You know, leadership is a privilege. Uh, I say that. And I really do believe that. And it's an opportunity for us to elevate others. And the best way to do that is to make room at the table. Yeah. Love it. Karen, you have this, you know, super role takes a lot of time, energy, I'm sure. You've got five, I'm sure they're pretty incredible kids just knowing you. Uh, how do you recharge your batteries? Like, uh, how do you, you know, do it all? Oh, gosh, I don't think I got rechar rechargeable batteries enough, right? You, you're going to constantly cycle them. But you know, and I love to cook, uh, which can be a good thing and a bad thing if you're, you're taste testing constantly. But you know, it's time for me to unplug. It's time for I can be creative. Um, you know, listen to that old music. Uh, be silly with the kids. It's really time that allows me to disconnect process. Um, and, you know, fortunate people love to eat cookies. So no one's ever said, mom, stop cooking. Uh, so. <laughs> no, I love that. 
So, Karen, we covered a ton of stuff, uh, everywhere from uh, music and to uh, the role of a chief value officer and and obviously Nemours and and then what you've learned along the way. And, and you gave us a lot of great leadership advice. Is there I want to give you the last word. Is there something that uh, we didn't touch on that you'd like to share or something we did touch on, but you just want to sort of double down on? Oh, well, Ed, first of all, thank you. Thank, thank you for one you know, thinking of me and pulling me to this table. Uh, but also, you know, the fact that you have this podcast, I think is a really great opportunity for leaders to connect with others. And so, you know, I appreciate your diligence and persistence and, you know, pulling this together, Megan, DJ Megan, for, for pulling this there. I think that's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is that value impacts every member of the leadership team. And that, you know, my saying is, you know, we're serving in healthcare and we have an obligation to move care upstream, right? We've got to focus on our children. What are we leaving for our children? Uh, many of us are parents. And so we, we've got to think about the status quo and how we can make a change. And so I would just, you know, hopefully impart that value is an opportunity for every single one of us, whether you have value in your title or not. Uh, we all have an obligation to move the needle. Well, Karen, you're an amazing person, a great leader. I can tell a great mom makes good cookies. So next time we connect in person, I'm, I'm expecting some cookies. But uh, you've definitely lived up to the iron sharpens iron. I know I feel uh, like I've learned a lot uh, in our time today. And, and I thank you for being on Digital Voices. Oh, thank you, Ed, again, so much. Very much appreciated. We'll get cookies, chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin. Ooh, better do oatmeal raisin. Okay, we'll be happy. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes uh, Digital Voices. I'm sure everyone now is going to go out and buy a cookie. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.